It's a fall day in Myrtle Beach in South Carolina. And a crowd has gathered on the green of a golf course to watch the final swings of an annual Masters tournament. The man putting is in a striped golf polo, and he's staring with laser focus at the ball. The stakes are high, and it has all come down to this moment. Here's a test swing. The winner will be decided on this final stroke. As people wait with bated breath, they can hear the hiss of a turquoise waterfall in the background. And every 20 minutes, there's a volcano spinning fire. This is mini golf. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. And today, we're talking about what is very possibly my favorite sport of all time. We are talking about mini golf. Today's episode was produced in partnership with Visit Myrtle Beach because they are the mini golf is not mini. It is a sort of maximalist mini golf heaven. It is so over the top. It is just glorious. So today, we take a trip to what is, at least according to me, the most important place in sport. We're going to the mini golf capital of the world after this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. When you grow up here, you just don't notice it. But then when you start to think, when you travel other places, there aren't any other miniature golf courses. And if they are, they're you know rather small or whatever. It's like, well, you know, they're not from Myrtle Beach. They don't know better. This is Catherine Hedgepath, born and raised local historian of Myrtle Beach and the creator of the Myrtle Beach History Trolley Tour. To know Myrtle Beach like Catherine does, it's to know mini golf. I, I've sort of established that I'm actually a putt-putt snob, and I didn't even really realize it until I started putting um, my personal experiences when I'm in town to, you know, what I experience when I'm traveling, you know, either around the country or abroad. In fact, when we spoke to her, Catherine had already logged a game of mini golf just earlier that day. There is a brand new course, and for purposes of this interview, I wanted to be as up-to-date as I possibly could. Staying up-to-date can be time-consuming because there are just a lot of courses to choose from. Along the South Carolina coast is a stretch of coastline called the Grand Strand. Drive down the King's Highway, the main commercial drag. That is a 38-mile stretch, and within that stretch, you will find 31 miniature golf courses. 
Every golf course is its own advertisement as you drive past. There are no billboards. You will sit by no billboard advertising at your golf course because they take care of that themselves. Just to give you a sense of it, here is a quick sampling. You've got Spyglass. That is the pirate-themed course with a firing cannon and a pirate ship floating on a lake. Or you could go to Hawaiian Rumble. That's the one with the exploding volcano. Actually, that volcano makes a short cameo appearance in the 1994 comedy Chasers. Not only do they drive up the volcano, they end up actually having a fist fight, you know, out on the mini golf course. There's Captain Hook, the Peter Pan-themed one. It would have um, sort of voiceovers and interactive lights because, you know, Tinkerbell would be this little light that would appear in a cave and whatnot. Now, the most dramatic one you're going to find is Mount Atlanticus. The theme there is, um, well... This wild story that sort of borrows from several different stories from mythology, from, you know, Atlantis to, oh my gosh, from Minotaurs and whatnot, and combine them all together. And then I think it was an outer space um, aspect to it as well. I guess the idea is that a lost civilization of Atlantis turns up at Myrtle Beach, and also there are aliens from outer space somehow led by a minotaur named Golf. Full name, Mount Atlanticus Minotaur Golf. Not Golf, Golf. Minotaur Golf. (laughs) And on a course that really didn't need that because it's wild enough. The thing goes up five stories and you just sort of keep climbing and climbing and up and down and all over the place. And I mean, you're so high up, you actually can see a couple of blocks away, a beautiful view of the ocean. Mount Atlanticus is what you might call the big daddy of Myrtle Beach mini golf. It is the wackiest of the wacky. And it's also fitting because it's arguably the place where it all began. But before we get to that, let's give mini golf its due. Let's talk a little bit about the ancient history of mini golf. It started at the same place where golf did, St. Andrews, Scotland. Golf has been played in St. Andrews since the 1400s. In fact, it was so popular at the time that King James tried to ban it. Too many men were skipping archery practice to go hit the links. And the standard 18-hole course was created there in the 1700s. And back in the like 1860s at St. Andrews, they created a little putt-putt course for the ladies so that while their, their you know husbands and sons were out playing real golf, um, these ladies were sort of, you know, just in their long dresses, I suppose, putting around. Around the 1920s, mini golf courses began to pop up all over the United States. And by the 30s, the fad had gotten really big. A popular comedian at the time, Will Rogers, joked, millions got a putter in their hand, half of America is bent over. This is also when Myrtle Beach got its very first mini golf course. But then when the Depression came and World War II, mini golf just went out of style, I suppose. In the decades after the war, Myrtle Beach also began to develop a reputation as the go-to destination for regular golf. It was a perfect spot for outdoor pastimes. It had a long, warm season, scenic locations. And in the late 60s, a group of local businessmen dreamed of making Myrtle Beach the golf capital of the world. They created what we refer to nowadays as golf packages. And the premise behind that was that when you booked your vacation, not only did you book your hotel, you would book your tea time as opposed to just waiting until you got to Myrtle Beach to figure out what you were going to do when you got here. And it kind of caught on. 
It tipped off a boom in the construction of golf courses around Myrtle Beach. And born into this scene was a young local guy named Jim Bryan. But everyone referred to him by his nickname, which was Potty, spelled P-O-D-D-Y. I don't know where the name came from, but everybody knew Potty Bryan. Potty dreamed of becoming a professional golfer, but it didn't quite work out. For a bit, he worked as a typing instructor in the Army. Then he went to grad school and became an English professor. His specialty was in J.D. Salinger. But he still couldn't quite get golf out of his mind. At the end of the 1960s, he began designing golf courses. By this time, mini golf was surging in popularity again in the U.S. When you think of courses around this time, here is what to picture. You've got flat green carpets, straightforward gameplay, maybe a windmill or a small rock formation here or there. Not too challenging and frankly, not too exciting. But then, Catherine says, Potty was commissioned to create a mini golf course with the theme Around the World in 18 Holes. So what happened was he's designing this golf course and then I guess he had an epiphany. It's like, well, we don't have to stay flat on the ground. So he thought, well, why don't we you know, take it up? So for the hole that was going to, to depict Tibet, he decided to build a small mountain that you could actually climb up the mountain, that you have to you know, actually go up steps and then play the, the hole, I guess, somehow on the mountain and then come back down again. Potty had found his calling. And then he ventured out um, and did about 230 courses around the U.S. And that led to Sports Illustrated dubbing him the father of modern miniature golf. Kind of hilariously, though, Potty didn't seem to be much of a fan of the game he was responsible for revolutionizing. In that same Sports Illustrated article, Potty comes across as kind of a grump, like a real curmudgeon. Mini golf, he says, is very close to the least essential part of American life. And he claimed to have never played a full round on one of his courses. That is a, is a complicated person. But still, in 1998, Potty threw himself into what would become his crowning glory, what some have called the Sistine Chapel of mini golf. That was his pride and joy. That was his favorite. And that was Mount Atlanticus. You could even say he risked his life for it. Before that particular golf course was finished, a minor hurricane was forecasted. So it wasn't quite completed, but he wanted to prove that what had been done thus far was going to be durable, that could it could stand up to you know, future hurricanes. So the story is that he went up to the very top, so five stories up, under one of the tiki huts that's at the top, with a sleeping bag and spent the night during the hurricane <laughs> to make sure that the course was durable. Well, it was. He survived. And basically the rest is history. Mount Atlanticus would be Potty Bryan's final course. He passed away just a few years later in 2002. But his legacy lives on. The style of the course that Potty created, this, this crazy mini golf course characterized by over-the-top storylines and larger-than-life attractions, it's known as the Myrtle Beach style of mini golf. And its popularity has spread all over the country. Today, mini golf in Myrtle Beach is still big business, both for casual enthusiasts and for mini golf professionals. 
In the late 90s, the owner of the Hawaiian Rumble course, a man named Bob Detweiler, established the Pro Mini Golf Association. They hold an annual Masters tournament, often at Hawaiian Rumble. And yes, the winner gets a green jacket, just like the winner of the PGA Masters. Last year's Mini Golf Masters tournament had a $25,000 cash purse, which may seem like an eye-popping sum for mini golf, but according to Detweiler, it is a drop in the bucket. He estimates that Myrtle Beach mini golf, in general, is a $25 million a year industry. Catherine says there's even more mini golf on Myrtle Beach's horizon. Coming soon is a mini golf-themed restaurant called Pop Stroke, backed by none other than big golf star Tiger Woods. For her, though, the game is just good old fun. I enjoyed it just as much today that I did decades ago. And, and as long as I can swing a putter, I'm sure if I'm a, you know, a, a white-haired old lady, I will be out there having fun still. It just doesn't get old. And it's for everybody. Doesn't matter if you're good or bad. It's just for everyone. So, you know, putt-putting, more people should do it. There really should be more courses all over the place because it brings such joy at a fairly, you know, economically feasible, um, you know, level that pretty much anybody can do it. And almost anybody, if they have the space, can, you know, build one of these places. But they probably won't be as exciting as the ones you find in Myrtle Beach. You can find a list of all mini golf courses at visitmyrtlebeach.com. We'll include a link to that and Catherine's Myrtle Beach History Tour page in our episode description. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Stitcher Studios. This episode was produced by Amanda McGowan. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire, Gabby Gladney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was sound designed and mixed by Luce Fleming. If you want to learn more, be sure to visit atlasobscura.com. There is a link in the episode description. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I'll see you next time. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But, but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex of bugs. <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radiolab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Willa Paskin, the host of Dakota Ring, Slate's podcast about cracking cultural mysteries. On Dakota Ring, we dive down rabbit holes and obsessively explore questions hiding in plain sight. Like, why has slow dancing gone out of style? And when did we all become obsessed with hydration? And where did the word mullet, you know, to describe a hairstyle, come from? That's Dakota Ring, named one of the best podcasts of 2023 by the New York Times. 
Listen to new episodes every two weeks and make sure to follow us so you never miss one.